The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. When you gotta love it, it's good like it should be Makes you never wanna give it up Cause you know that some people die for love And I believe it's true cause I do the same for you Good morning, you're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, California Streaming online at KUCI.org and podcasting on iTunes Welcome to Fighting for Love This show will help you turn conflict into collaboration in all your relationships. I'm Lloyd, the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank, an attorney mediator since 1985. She's the author of several books, including Negotiations, Breakthroughs, and Fighting for Love. She's a mediator for the Orange County Superior Court Civil Mediation Panel, and she mediates business, employment, divorce, privacy, and other civil cases in her private practice in Laguna Niguel, California. Mari's a professor of negotiations and conflict management and has been a certified state bar trainer for over 25 years. She teaches leadership and conflict management courses at Brandman University and here at UCI, and she trains corporate leaders' powerful communication and conflict transformation skills. To learn more about the show and our great guests, please visit conflicthealing.com. Mari, what's your show about this morning? Well, Lloyd, today is about conflict healing, inner conflict. What happens when we have inner conflict in our bodies, we have pain, and we have the body-mind-spirit has a, a way to heal in this wonderful thing called Convergence Healing. And that's the name of this great book that I'm just about done reading. It's called Convergence Healing, Healing Pain with Energetic Love. And this is by Peter Bedard. And this book just came out hot off the press last Dece- this uh, past December 15th, 2015. So I, I wanted to start with this uh, a quote that he has in chapter 6 called Love Inside Out. And it says, find the love you seek by first finding the love within yourself. Learn to rest in that place within you that is your true home. And that's by Sri Sri Ravi Shankar. So, you know, there are so many ways that we really push away loving ourselves and accepting ourselves. And so part of that really is what we're going to be talking about today is learning to love yourself, love your pain. And we are speaking with a the wonderful author, Peter Bedard. Let me tell you a little bit about Peter. He has an MA, a Master's of Arts in Consciousness Studies, and he has extensive training in hypnotherapy and alternative health. He's helped thousands of people overcome pain and the fearful shadow it casts over their entire lives. Peter has a thriving one-on-one private practice, and he gives talks and workshops around the world, and he lives just up north in Los Angeles, California, and this is um, his, I think, first book, and it's really wonderful. So, Peter, thank you so much for joining us. Um, Mari, I am so happy to be here. This is a, what you're talking about is a, a concept and a 
a situation that's very dear to my heart. So I, I love that uh, it's we can apply this inner work to a larger crowd, like experience of, of uh, conflict resolution. Right. And I know whenever I see people in conflict, they are hurting inside. They're in pain. Absolutely. It's what often drives the conflict. Exactly. So as we heal our inner conflicts and even learn to love ourselves, you know, that's that's what you talk about with, you know, loving that pain. You know, mm-hmm. if you got a pain in your shoulder to love it. But but let's talk. I found it fascinating what happened to you when you were 17, when you were hit by that truck or whoever that guy just ran off. And why don't you tell the story of your well, I was going to say your near-death experience, but it was more than near-death. You died and came back. So let's talk yeah. a little bit about it, that. That's an odd, for some reason, that's just what they're called. A near-death experience is actually a death experience. Right. right. <laughs> for whatever reason, it's been given that name. <laughs> but yes, yeah, somebody, when I was 17, I was very angry, and I was on my Moto Bicane, which is kind of like a motorized bicycle. And it went at pretty good speed, but it wasn't super fast. It was small and compact not like a big fat moto, uh, like moped. And I was coming home from a night. I wanted to go to a party. I was almost 18. My parents told me I couldn't. I respected their wishes and didn't go, but I was the good kid. I was the one that always did what I was told. I was almost 18, and I wanted to go to this event. And I never did any of the quote-unquote bad stuff. I never experimented with drugs. I never stuck out of the house. I was a pretty boring kid. <laughs> And I was very angry that my parents didn't trust me to go to this event. So I was driving home on my moped, and that anger was kind of seething in me. And I say that because when the accident happened, that anger almost got locked into my cells. It got locked into my bones. But somebody came up behind me late at night when I was driving my moped, and they drove me into the back of a semi-truck. They pushed my back tire, and I I ran into a parked semi-truck. And I actually jumped out of my body prior to the impact. It was a very interesting experience and actually, surprisingly, a common experience. My, uh, my awareness, my consciousness, my soul, whatever you want to call it, jumped out, and I saw my body slam into the semi-truck. Mm. And then my body bounced out into the street, and uh, you know, there's a whole, se- a whole series of events where I, I, I watched the scene. I saw the car drive away. I hovered above the scene. I went down a tunnel, and suddenly I'm in this other place. And I don't know what this place is. Some people might call it heaven. But it was the happiest, most joyous experience I can ever, ever describe. I jokingly and yet very seriously say that death is one of the most beautiful and amazing, glorious things that will ever, ever happen to you. It's just an incredible, incredible experience. And it's something to not be feared. It's something actually to welcome as a part of life. And not that I want people to, you know, go run off and do stuff to themselves, but to not be afraid of those experiences because the happiest, most joyful they can imagine themselves being in their current state or in their life in in their past, multiply that by 20 20 million or even more, and you have this experience of ecstasy and bliss and joy that was for me on the other side. And I was a little confused on the other side. There was somebody there, but uh, there was nobody there when I first appeared in that space, in this awareness. And it was, it was kind of interesting. I was, it was just a white sort of space. There wasn't any floor, but I was aware that I was standing and I was stable. 
and there wasn't any ceiling, but I was aware that this experience kind of seemed to go on forever. And I was so curious and so excited to be where I was. And I knew that, I, you know, I, I, prior to going down the tunnel, I looked at my body in a very sort of loving, detached way and saw that it was smashed up. And I knew that I was not alive anymore. And yet I felt more alive than I have ever felt. Mm. And I was curious as to where everybody was because I had this idea that there should be, you know, my, my great-grandmother that I've always wanted to meet <laughs> and my, right. my dog that died, <laughs> you know, my ancestors. Right. And there was nobody there. And finally this person showed up. And I say person, but I don't know what he was. He looked like a person. But at the same time, he looked like a holograph. He looked like this sort of like projection where you could see exactly who he was. I could see the, his clothing and the weave of his clothing because he, he was wearing a suit that for some reason reminded me of like British Hong Kong where it was, you know, I don't know why or where that comes from, but that energy was there of this sort of English tailoring suit on, a, on like a Fu Manchu stereotype type of person with the, you know, the Fu Manchu and the goatee and you know, that, that whole setup. And I looked at him, and it was as if my heart was bursting open. There was so much love for this, this man, this image, this angel. I don't know what you want to call him. Um, and I had no idea who he was, kind of like in a dream where you're in love with somebody, but you don't know why or who they are. Right. There's just this amazing love. And it was more love than I've ever experienced. And it wasn't like a sexual love. It was just this blissful, joyous oh my gosh, I know you kind of love. Connection. Exactly, exactly, like source connection. And he looked at me and he said, what are you doing here? And I looked at him and, and said, well, I'm here. And he said, you're not supposed to be here. You need to go back. And with that experience, all of that anger that I had came back to me. And in that moment when that anger flooded back in and I felt like I was being kicked out of heaven... I suddenly was back in the world, hovering over my body, and, and the ambulance had arrived, and there were two paramedics or EMTs of some sort that were hovering over me, and uh, I, I woke, I went back in my body for a brief second, scared the crap out of them because, right. uh, <laughs> the, uh, you know, I, they were so close to my face, I, I guess they were looking for my vitals and trying to see if there was any breath or, or anything, and I don't know how long I had been under or out because there was never a police report and there was never any kind of documentation of the event for some reason, right. not even an ambulance recording. So I could have been, you know, dead lying there in the street for quite some time or it could have been a few minutes, I don't know. But I saw them come over, I saw them bend down over me, I saw them checking my vitals, I opened my eyes, told them to take me to, uh, to the hospital that I was insured at, and then I jumped out of my body again. And I was saying to myself, I don't want to go back in that. I don't want to be there. I don't want to be in that body. Mm. I don't want to be here anymore. And I watched them put my body in the ambulance, shut the doors, and drive away. And the next memory I have is waking up sometime later in the hospital. My parents had already been there, so it had been at least an hour or more. And opening my eyes and seeing the white of the ceiling and knowing it wasn't the same white as this heaven sort of experience, this, this infinite sort of whiteness, these clouds in a way. And I was so sad and angry and disappointed that I was here. So my death experience is an unusual one. Most people, when they come back, 
they want to come back because they want to come back for the love of a family member or their children or they have something else that they feel that they need to do. For me, coming back felt like a punishment. Right. And I, I, I say it's like the Sisyphus effect where I felt like I, every day was another day that I was being punished to roll that rock up the hill. Mm, and yeah. so I had, I had shattered my left knee, I shattered it into all little tiny, tiny bits. I split my right wrist open. I lost all the nerves in my right hand. I cracked five vertebrae, and I had undiagnosed brain damage. Mm. And I had to go through a process of healing while this anger had been locked in my bones. And so I went through 20 years of chronic pain. I had to learn how to walk again. I had fibromyalgia and arthritis and asthma, this constant chronic pain, sciatica. I had anxiety, of course, and depression that just came from those experiences. It just was a list of on and on and on and on of just stuff that was wrong with me and just kept happening, like a cascade effect. And finally... But all I was given was drugs and surgery. I didn't want more drugs and more surgeries. And so the doctors basically said they had nothing that they could do with me. And so I just would grin and bear it and go through life as best I could. I would hope to die, but I knew that if I took my life, then it wouldn't be a good thing because I thought at the time I understood this sort of concept of heaven and hell differently than I understand it now. And I thought, well, you know, heaven kicked me out, so my alternative isn't such a good <laughs> idea. <laughs> if that was so blissful, what the heck is the other place like? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So I just suffered. I suffered in tremendous pain constantly. I learned how to hide it. I learned how to shove it down. And I learned how to mask it. And as I did that, I became more and more and more sick. As I took that anger and that frustration and that trauma I would be in more and more conflict with myself because I wanted to heal. I wanted to feel better. I didn't know how, and I was in this constant pain that seemed, my perception of it, seemed endless. And so I started to heal myself, and that leads me today. You know, I did so many different things with my education, with actually being a guinea pig for holistic therapies on my own body, and I started then teaching other people how to tune into themselves and actually embrace the pain and, and learn the lesson and the gift that the pain has to offer us and heal myself. And that's really what my book's all about. Yeah, and you know, I noticed, it sounds like from what you're telling me and from what I've read in your book is that when you were so angry, you really were angry at yourself as well. And you mm-hmm. had didn't have much in terms of self-love. And as you went through all of these holistic things and as you evolved, you started to really accept yourself and accept what was going on and love yourself and then love the pain that was <laughs> that was making you miserable. Absolutely. And, yeah, so love was really the answer for you and Completely. for and for others. So, you know, that you were fighting for love, like the name of our show, you were really fighting for love. Absolutely. Now, now when you went through this uh, this near death experience um and I've spoken with other people who have gone through it as you know on this show and also I had a cousin who um when her fourth child was born they put her in the recovery room and she bled to death and um and then they came in and they saw it and then they brought her back but she had she remembered seeing everything like you talk about she saw them operating on her she saw them giving her blood transfusion she saw everything and um she even had 
a grandfather who was sitting on a on a fire hydrant who said, "Go back, go back. It's not your time. Go back." <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so she had the same, and she didn't want to come back, even though, I mean, she liked it so much there. She didn't want to, but then they said, "No, you you have other things to do." And then she goes, "Okay, I have four children, and a husband." But um, but she also, I remember her telling the story. Now, when you came back, you were only you know not even eighteen years old yet. So did you tell your parents? Did you tell people about it? Were people believing you? No, I didn't tell anybody. I knew that this was so out of what my family and the people around me would accept that I just kept quiet about the whole thing. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I you didn't, didn't talk tell about anybody? This for no quite friends? A long time. Nothing? Not a soul. Not a soul. And that year that I was learning how to walk again and, you know, trying to get my life back and trying to graduate from high school and all that type of stuff while having the brain damage, that year was, it was barely in, I was barely in my skin. I was barely present. I was constantly in this other place. I would say that I would have these conversations with God where they really weren't conversations. They were just me screaming at God saying, why are you doing this to me? Mm. And I really wasn't in my body. I really wasn't. I would, I would check out as often as I could. I was in tremendous amounts of pain, right. which was part of it, and I had no way to deal with it except for the drugs. And the drugs just made me, on the, when I was aware and I was conscious, they just made me uh, feel terrible the side effects of them and the sure. wooziness and all that type of stuff. So I just, just checked out as often as I could and had this constant argument with, my, with God, really. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. wow. So when is it, that, what was the shift? What was the thing that really shifted you to say, wait a minute, this was a blessing in disguise, there, there's yeah. something here. When did that happen? So the shift was very gradual. It was something, you know, I, I had spent my 20s in, in tons of pain and my 30s in tons of pain, and, and I was, you know, subsistence living from paycheck to paycheck. And somebody had told me about uh, an acupuncturist that they'd gone to. And I said, well, I don't know what that is, but, you know, I've heard of it, so, and they, they liked it, so I'll go. And at that point, I was incredibly desperate because I was laid up. I could barely move. Uh, I had the sciatica I had that had flared up so much that I couldn't even crawl on my front. I had to actually crawl on my back, kind of like a mm. crab. <laughs> yeah. uh, and that's how I moved about if I did move. And I actually crawled down my stairs from my apartment, got myself in my car, drove all the way across town to the far, far end of town, crawled into this guy's home because he worked in his townhome, and I had to climb up all these stairs to get to it. But I walked out of his office, Mm. and I had that moment of, okay, I found something that works. I feel more present and in my skin than I have have been for years. And I started to realize that the pain was pushing me to heal. It was pushing me. No longer was it this thing that that had to be looked at as my enemy it was this thing that was driving me to actually take power over my life to stop being the victim it was calling me into that that experience of being like a leader and saying okay these are the facts of the situation this is what it is and what it is is and accepting and embracing that then i was able to say okay what am i going to do next what are my next choices? I found something that worked. Let's find the next thing. 
Actually, your pain was screaming at you. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> your pain was saying, wake up, Peter, wake up. I yep. have something to tell you. Listen to me. Exactly. And most <laughs> of us, it's interesting. It's kind of like fear. Pain and fear are very similar. Yeah. We tend to listen to the experience, say the, the fear itself, yeah. instead of why the fear is there. And fear and pain are both there for very specific reasons. Fear is there to say, hey, pay attention. There's something important happening. Pay attention. Right. And isn't even anger is like that when you're angry. I mean, all of these really powerful emotions are there as wake up calls like, hey, if you're angry, you know, why are you so angry? What's really going on inside? You know, or you're in physical pain. What is causing that? You know? Yeah. And most of us only pay attention to the fear or the pain or the anger. And if we only pay attention to that, then we just keep getting more of that. We don't ask that question, like you're saying, of, well, what's underneath it? Right. And so that started to happen. I started to learn and grow, and I started to get a little relief, and I started to understand that that deep anger that I had was one of the driving forces of the pain itself. Even my physical bone pain was being driven by the emotional experience of my anger. Yeah, people don't realize, you know, I deal with people in anger all the time. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's my profession. And, mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm a mediator. So, I mean, I see people in this anger and I can see their energy and I can feel their energy. And then, of course, they do have the physical aim- ailments that manifest from that. Mm-hmm. So it's absolutely, you know, I can, I, it's, it's something that is visible, right? Yeah. I mean, you oh, can yeah, see. it's very visible, but for whatever reason, we don't see it. Right. And our culture doesn't encourage people to see it. Our culture actually encourages sort of reactivity and suppression of the pain. Yeah, it's take a pill. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. exactly. And so when we embrace it, it's, I, I treat pain kind of like, um, like a part of us that's a 17-year-old kid. And that 17-year-old kid is, is erupting in all kinds of anger and frustration, and they're doing all kinds of stuff that's just messing up, right? And if we look at the pain like that, then we can have love and compassion for it. Right. And then we can start saying, okay, pain, I get you're hurting, and I understand that if I keep beating you up and being ashamed of you, embarrassed of you, frustrated or angry at you, all I'm doing is incur- I'm feeding the pain. Right. But what if I actually just redefine the relationship with the pain and I say, no matter what, I'm going to love you and I'm going to send you constant messages of love and understanding. Because we all know that when we feel loved, when we feel loved and, and cared for and heard or witnessed, right, then people heal. Yes. And it's easier to heal when we feel loved. We will do tremendous things that are supposedly impossible when, we're for, when we fight, like you said, for love. Yeah. And so that's what I ask people to do is to actually redefine this relationship. They have a relationship with their pain. Normally it's a one-sided abusive relationship. And they're always (laughs) angry at it and beating it up, right? Right. And that just contributes to the pain. Well, what if we stopped 
embrace the pain. I ask people even to name it. <laughs> yeah, make it, I you know, saw that. It. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of fun because I'll ask people to name their pain and have it show up in front of them as if it takes a form, some sort of personification of it. And it's shown up as jellyfishes. It's shown up as like black <laughs> clouds with people, right. goats, whatever it is. And then you have something that you can actually identify, and most importantly, identify outside of you. So there's a psychological relief that happens when we do those types of things. So you name it, you talk to it, you start loving it, you redefine the relationship that you have with it. And then like that 17-year-old kid, you ask it or him or her what it needs to heal. So instead of telling it, like the, it's one of our problems that I love Western medicine, but it's one of the problems in Western medicine is Western medicine, it just tells people what they have to do. And that might not be in alignment with what that person's true healing is. Right. And so I ask the, the tumor, the pain, the anxiety, the addiction to start talking to us and saying, okay, we ask it three primary questions. And you ask these questions as an ongoing discovery. What do you need pain on the level of physical body? What do you need for me to do in order to help you heal? Right. And it's tremendous. People know exactly what they, they need to do. The pain just either talks to them or they get a sort of experience of a knowing, you know, that kind of sense of aha, that right, type of thing. Right, right. Uh-huh. And, and so we start to build this personalized recipe or pathway for them to heal. And we ask it two more questions. The second question is on the level of mind and thoughts, because how you've been thinking about your pain or your life or whatever it is has not been helping it. So how can you use that thinking that you do, that knowledge, that awareness, how can you use that in a way that is now going to support the healing? What would the pain like to do of and through you on the level of thought in order to take the healing even further? And the same with spirit. What would the pain like to do? How would it like to experience life through life on that level of connection, on that level of spirit that's going to help it heal even more? Mm. And those three answers become sort of the foundation that we work on. We're constantly building in new things. But when I get the answers, let's say somebody will say they need to go and take a salsa or go dancing. And, and and, And on the body level, on the mind level will be they need to discipline their thoughts because their thoughts have been just constant thoughts of worry and fear. And so we say, well, do you want to meditate? What do you want to do? And they learn how to meditate and discipline their thoughts, right? And then on the third thing, on the spirit level, for me, spirit wasn't church or religion. It was nature. For me, going out and getting my hands dirty, digging in the ground, pulling weeds, pruning my plants, that was where I connected with spirit. Mm. And so I asked people, okay, so now we have these three answers. Talk to the pain and show the pain an image of you doing these three things, whether it's the dancing or the and learning to discipline your thoughts with the meditation or whether it's just being outside and hugging a tree, whatever it is, nature for them, right? And we show those images and them actually engaging in those types of things to the pain. And inevitably, I've done this 12 years, I've never had this not work. Inevitably, the pain drops down or completely disappears. Mm. It's remarkable. And so I ask people to continue this work, to continue this sort of recipe, this, these different things that we're going to keep adding in. And it may be something you do every day. It may be something you do once a month. It may be something that you go and you know, get a massage or some body work or whatever it is. Or you do even allopathic medicine. 
you know, whatever it is, we incorporate all of those things. So this process is really embracing of everything holistic and, and allopathic. Eastern, Western, it's a really beautiful, freeing type of thing, but it's driven by the pain itself, where the pain gets to say, you know, well, Rumi says, uh, the cure for the pain is in the pain. He's one of my favorite poets. Yeah, yeah, love Rumi. Yeah, and, you know, that's such good wisdom. That's so amazing. So if the cure for the pain is in the pain, let the pain speak, embrace it, love it, and follow its path to healing, because it wants to heal. That's why it's hitting you over the head. (laughs) <laughs> exactly, exactly. You know, um, I took Reiki 1 and 2, and Reiki is uh, that energy healing, similar to what you're talking about. Besides just using your mind to answer questions, it's really allowing the energy to come in and like feeling that energy go into every cell, molecule, and atom of your being. Exactly. Yeah. And, and that, go that, ahead. And I was just going to say, and the other thing I do, and I, and I guess I learned this many, many years ago when I was having my children is you know they teach you breathing (laughs) people forget about the breath (laughs) and as you breathe into the pain it dissipates Mm -hmm. so that you know i think blending that plus the questions and really getting underneath what all of this is about is you know it's just a multifaceted way to to really heal that pain with energetic love like you talk about in your book. Absolutely. And it goes even deeper. It goes to an experience of actually knowing how the experience has been held in your body. So I always say every pain and every addiction, anxiety, normally has a trauma underneath it. Right. And when we understand, I, I call traumas ghosts. So trauma, in my definition, is a ghost, a memory, something from your past right. that thinks it's still alive. So it may have been 20 years ago, but you're still feeling as, it, as if it just happened. Yep. And that's when we get into the actual, like what you're saying, the physical experience, the knowing of how we've been keeping that in our body, how we've been, where that has been living inside of us. And there's a process that we do to teach the ghost the feeling of it. To but find but you know what? Back in history. And that is perfect. And because we are, believe it or not, we're out of time. So that's <laughs> why they're going to have to read your book, Convergence Healing, Healing Pain with Energetic Love by Peter Bedard. And Peter, just give your website and it is really time to go, okay? Sure. It's convergencehealing.com. Okay. Well, you stay in touch, okay, Peter? And God bless you and Happy New Year to you. Have a great New Year. This is great stuff. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning and visit our website at conflicthealing.com. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.